Welcome to the September episode of International Voices. I'm your host and moderator, Udo Fluck, and I have the honor to oversee the Office of Global and Cultural Affairs in Arts Missoula. International Voices podcasts offer a unique insight into the diverse services the Office of Global and Cultural Affairs provides. The past six podcast episodes featured Arts Missoula Executive Director Tom Benson, Mayor John Engen, Dr. Sarj Patel, a British neuroscience researcher, educators from Missoula's elementary, middle, and high schools, Tony Grace, International Relations Manager in Missoula's sister city, Palmerston North in New Zealand, and Daniel Boknar with Germany's Ministry of Education and the European Agency for Special Needs and Inclusive Education. International Voices is a monthly podcast brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and the Trail 1033. My passion is an international and cultural educational program development and teaching. And for many years, I taught and researched out of the Office of International Programs at the University of Montana. The name of the office changed, and it is now called the Global Engagement Office, but it still manages international student and faculty exchanges with over 80 partner institutions around the world, in addition to providing critical services to international students and scholars, education abroad programs, and an English language institute. During the past eight years, declining student numbers, several changes in leadership in just a couple of years, and a shrinking office staff presented some significant challenges for the office. Before coming to UM in 2019, Donna served as Director of International Programs and as Director of Education Abroad at the University of Wisconsin, Platteville, and as a Study Abroad Coordinator at Loris College in Iowa. I am honored to have Donna Anderson as my guest in this September episode of International Voices. Welcome, Donna. Oh, thank you. And I guess I should say, Danke schön, Udo. It is such a pleasure to be here and to be able to discuss really the exciting things that are happening with international education at the University of Montana during this very unusual time in our history. So thank you. You're most welcome, Donna. And yes, we could have this entire conversation in German, couldn't we? As I know that your experience with international education began as an undergraduate participating on a faculty-led program to Germany and Austria, followed by a junior year abroad at the University of Erlangen in Germany. Yes, and I wish we could have the whole conversation in German. My German is not nearly good enough to do that, but thank you. <laughs> of course. Um, now, based on your own education abroad experience, Donna, I would like to start our conversation with the first question. How important are international experiences for young people? And how can students substitute that experience during a pandemic? Yeah, so, you know, I think about it's almost like prior to the pandemic and after the pandemic. But this, this is one thing that's a constant. But I will say that prior to the pandemic, there were multiple studies done 
just on this, what are the benefits of international engagement, international education, and particularly around study abroad experiences. So for example, there were multiple large scale studies that found that students who study abroad, especially underrepresented students, are more likely to complete their degrees than students that did not study abroad. Uh, the studies also showed that study abroad, um, perhaps no surprise, improves language learning. And uh, only 25% of US adults can actually speak a language other than English compared to, let's say, 90% of European high school students who are learning English. Study abroad also fosters intercultural understanding. It provides a global context. Um, a unique and transformational learning experience that that was certainly the case for me as an undergraduate. And we know that from these studies, students who have studied abroad are better able to work with people from other countries and understand the complexity of global issues. And they also have a greater intercultural learning. So I think that all of these things are, are really great reasons for students and young people and really anyone to engage with an international educational experience. I think the other piece that's been very compelling, particularly for people in higher education, is that these studies have showed that study abroad increases employability and career skills as well. So, um, that, you know, the studies show that skills that are gained while studying abroad are the same skills that employers value and that employers recognize um, the importance of cross-cultural understanding and especially in this increasingly global economic environment. Right. And you had asked about um, how to, you know, now we're in a pandemic, so how do you continue this type of intercultural and international learning? Right. Um, so, you know, really we've got mobility on hold for the foreseeable future, um, which means we need to pivot quickly to ways to deliver international experiences to our students that don't require travel. And this includes virtual exchange, collaborative online international, learning, um, really doubling down on our curriculum integration efforts, and looking at other new opportunities such as internationalization at home, which is um, defined as the purposeful integration of international and intercultural dimensions into the formal and informal curriculum for all students within the domestic learning environment. So I think when we view these methods of delivering international experiences, not necessarily as a substitute for mobility, but as an enhancement to the ways we have typically engaged with international education through mobility, um, I think we could actually come through this pandemic on the other side in a better space, right? So there are so many ways that students can stay globally engaged without traveling. And this is what we are focusing on at this time at the University of Montana. Really working with faculty on internationalizing the curriculum, working closely with our partner institutions to provide virtual programming for our students, including the addition of virtual programming to faculty-directed study abroad programs, and other innovative ways to deliver global engagement to students that doesn't necessarily require travel and can lead to better outcomes for all of our students. Because really, it, 
it is an equity issue, right? right. Um, not all students are able to either afford to go abroad for a period of time or um, be gone from family, work responsibilities for that a length of time. So I think if we can take this opportunity that the pandemic has created to really work on those alternative delivery methods, whether they're virtual or through curriculum integration or internationalization at home, we can really expand our reach and be more inclusive of all students on our campuses. I appreciate that you're um, talking about that, Donna, and I have some specific questions here in a little while um, about this internationalization of the campus and this curriculum integration. But um, let me just, before we get to that, um, reconnect. So to, for somebody that studied abroad in Germany and Austria and that has lived in, uh, in other states in this country, um, what made you and your husband decide on Montana as your new place to call home? Yeah. So my husband, Rick, and I both grew up in Minnesota, and we met as undergraduates in Iowa at one of the Iowa private colleges, and then lived and worked in the upper Midwest for almost 30 years. So we're, we're definitely from the upper Midwest. Um, but as we became empty nesters, so a number of years ago, both of our sons, you know, were off to college, and now they're they're adults living in Des Moines, but we just knew that we were, it was time for a new stage in our journey and we wanted to, you know, we didn't know what that meant. We just knew that we were ready for something different. So part of that plan though, was for me to pursue, pursue a doctorate in higher education leadership, um, which I did through a low residency program at CSU in Fort Collins, so Colorado State University in Fort Collins. And while during that time of low residency, when we were in Fort Collins, we absolutely fell in love with the Mountain West and we knew that we wanted the Mountain West to be our next destination. So as I was finishing up my program and starting to look at positions, um, the, this position at the University of Montana came available and everything about it just felt right. Um, the position at UM was exactly what I was looking for you know, overseeing an international office with truly amazing, outstanding colleagues, um, while also being charged with carrying out the broader vision for campus internationalization and getting to work with amazing college or colleagues from across campus, like Gene um, Loftus, um, who heads our Frankie Global Leadership Initiative, Dina Mansour in the Mansfield Center, colleagues in the office of what's now the Experiential Learning and Career Success Office, um, faculty and staff literally from every college and school on campus. Um, so many of them doing amazing international research and collaboration. So I just felt like there's already great stuff happening here. Um, you know, I think they're just looking for a new type of leadership and someone to take things to the next level. So. Great opportunity here at UM. Um, UM also has a really strong history of offer, offering top-notch liberal arts and sciences. Um, that combined with its strong international engagement, um, just so much potential to continue to build on that foundation, especially as we move into these really uncertain times in the midst of a global pandemic and a reawakening of social injustice around the world. Right. 
So Montana and Missoula specifically also, as you well know, have a strong history of international engagement. Um, I was looking at, before I came for my interview, I think I saw Montana was like third in the nation as far as top Peace Corps volunteer producing states per yep. capita. Yep. Um, and Missoula, I think was even higher, like number two Correct. Um, for Peace Corps per, uh, volunteer producing. And then um, of course, I learned all about Senator Mansfield and his legacy with the, as a US ambassador to Japan. Um, so really, and you know, that continues to, to this day, those strong relationships between the state of Montana and the state of, um, of uh, Kumamoto in Japan. But um, I also learned, you know, like Missoula is home to one of a limited number of international rescue committees in the US. So providing opportunities for refugees, asylees, other immigrants to resettle here in Missoula is very unique. Not every city, especially a city of this size, has that kind of engagement. Um, soft landing, Missoula, also impressed me greatly. So, um, and of course, I met you, Udo, during my interview. And, um, you know, I learned about the efforts being made by the city of Missoula through your office, the Office of Global and Cultural Affairs. And again, for a city the size of Missoula, you know, only about 75,000 people it speaks volumes to the priority this, com this community has placed on international engagement. So there were just so many reasons. I mean, obviously it was the mountains, but then it was like, wow, this place exists and it's, it's just perfect. So, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing this because this is very similar to my own experience when I came to Missoula uh, 30 years ago. And the mountains were impressive, I agree. And, and having grown up uh, skiing in Europe, um, you know, the, having ski slopes just around the corner, uh, the closeness of, of all of that was uh, a, a big part of, I think, me coming here to study at the University of Montana versus, um, you know, California or some other place that didn't have, uh, that doesn't have mountains. Um, but I also agree with you, it's, it's a very welcoming community uh, and, and Soft Landing uh, speaks for that and the International Rescue Committee. Uh, it's just the attitude of people and I always felt that um, I was not treated like a stranger, but I was treated like uh, a friend or mm -hmm. uh, a neighbor. And, and I think that that's, uh, and I've told this story many times uh, in the last 30 years to international students that came here. I mean, they were sort of, you know, they were here already, so they didn't need any more encouragement of coming here. But when you go through orientation and you tell students to, you know, to feel at ease because they made the right decision and it's a safe place and it's a welcoming place and uh, a place with, with great recreational opportunities. I think this all comes back in your own mind as something that, uh, that you have experienced just the same way I'm sure when you think about your time in Germany and Austria. It's just sort of a absolutely to, to what you said earlier. It's a life-changing experience to go abroad, but it's not the only way to change your life. You yeah. you can have other experiences that are just as meaningful, um, and probably in a pandemic are uh, strongly advisable. Um, mm. uh, and then, you know, probably travel will 
be an opportunity again next year or the following year. But for the time being, I think it's sort of valuing what you have on location, like you said, um, a, a university that has top-notch faculty and uh, outstanding programs and incredible student services on campus, I think makes this place really what it is, right? Now, um, in my introduction, I mentioned that um, the international activities on campus uh, had some ups and downs, obviously, through the years and declining enrollment uh, in, in most uh, institutions of higher education. Um, now, this is enough, I think, for a person that starts a position new to deal with and to be creative and to be an out-of-the-box thinker. When you throw a pandemic on top of it, uh, it, you really had to be creative and innovative and pivot and reconfigure and to some degree reinvent the office that you're leading. What are some of the new directions you're planning to lead your team in? And what are some opportunities you plan to explore? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I think about where we were only eight months ago in the field of international education, you know, just rewind the clock pre-pandemic. Right. Um, at that time, where we were sitting was, um, we were seeing a rise in the level of nationalism in many countries, um, including the U.S., of course. Uh, we were seeing tightened immigration policies, stronger governmental oversight, like of research projects, particularly with China. Um, and also this increasing um, competition for international students among other countries, such as Australia and Canada and the UK. Um, and when the global pandemic began in March, it brought, um, in addition to all, this, all these serious travel challenges and economic difficulties. So this raised yet another threat to the future of international education in the US, right? So US higher education um, all, of, all of our offices were recalling nearly all of our students who had been studying abroad at that time. The State Department issued a global advisory to avoid all international travel due to the impact of COVID-19. And in essence, student and scholar mobility really came to a halt. And now we find ourselves in this time of low to no, no mobility, as you said. So what do we do? Um, so, but then you add on top of that in May, we saw another pandemic reemerge here, not only in the US, but globally, and that of um, racial injustice, social uh, systemic racism. And with this reemergence, many of those inadequacies and inequalities that exist in higher education became more explicit in the wake of COVID-19. And we've been forced to think about the role higher education has played in perpetuating that systemic racism here in the US. And at the same time, many of the assumptions we've held about international education are also being challenged within these contexts and realities. So it's like a double whammy right now, it's time for, both, for us as international educator, educators to also question those assumptions. So for example, this long-held assumption that mobility equals internationalization on U.S. campuses. 
the more international students you can have on your campus, the more students you can have studying abroad means you're being successful in internationalization efforts. It does, but it, it doesn't show the whole picture because you know only if even even on campuses that have really high rates of study abroad participation, you know maybe they have 15 to 20 percent of their students studying abroad. What about the other 85, you know, 80 to 85 percent of students that aren't going abroad? So. So again, we have this unique opportunity right now to mainstream internationalization into the core work of our institutions um, in order to assure that all students, regardless of their ability to travel abroad, will have access to global engagement right here at home. And as I mentioned before, there's a number of ways we can do this, including embedding virtual international exchange or collaborative online international learning, um, which we call COIL into courses that are taught here at the University of Montana. So that gets to what are our priorities, right, for this next year as we're still in the midst of COVID. Right. Um, so some of the things we've done very quickly to pivot, and I know that word is overused, but that's what we're all doing is this pivot. Um, one good example is with our, our English Language Institute, which is housed in our Global Engagement Office. Um, just last week, they finished a virtual four-day program of academic English language skills for 40 high school students from Kumamoto High School in Kumamoto, um, Japan. Right. Um, that's our sister state. Normally, some of those students would be physically coming to Montana in the summer to have let's say a two to four week experience where they'd get to go up to Glacier and they'd right. have some homestays and they'd have this intensive English language and culture experience. And I remember those summers. Yeah, yeah, well, for sure. Cause I, I'm sure it's been going on for quite a number of years. Right. And of course this year that wasn't possible. So Jeannie Castillo, our, our head of the English Language Institute got together with her team, got together with the partners in Kumamoto and said, hey, Let's try to do this virtually. Let's see what we can do. And they had a tremendously successful, um, albeit one week instead of two to four weeks or whatever it would normally be, but they were able to craft a program um, that would occur in the morning hours in Japan, evening hours here in Missoula, complete with um, breakout sessions virtually on Zoom with teachers, so they're, they're doing the English language engagement portion, and then time with um, U.S. students or, or people from Missoula to practice their English, so conversation partners, and um, time learning about, um, you know, the culture here in Missoula and, and in Montana and the United States. And there was, um, uh, and one of the high school, I don't know what his role is, but another, a different high school than Kumamoto High School, um, a different pr principal sat in on one of those sessions and he said, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Um, I'd like to try to see if I can write a proposal to tap into some of the Ministry of Education funds to offer this to my students. Could you do something like this for us in, um, I can't remember, later this fall? And so now Jeannie's working on that for them. So. You know, you would think in the midst of a pandemic, no to low mobility, how can an English language institute survive, right? But these are the types of creative things that we're doing um, to make that 
make that possible so that we can sustain that that language institute until the mobility resumes and i think a lot of these programs if they're so successful may actually continue even post-pandemic and so, i like i said i remember those um those groups of students coming in uh in the previous years to missoula in the summer uh, for the only purpose of getting a very intensive sort of experience in, uh, well, language and culture, and um, how important this was for the students to, uh, to have a program like this. Because I think, you know, one can take a program, uh, uh, you know, a language program pretty much anywhere, but when you have this, this location connected to it, and you have professionals like Jeannie and her teaching staff administering a program like this, then I think it really sort of is a different level uh, than, oh, many, than many universities can offer because, absolutely, um, you know, it's, a, it's years of experience and it's a very unique location. The same location that, that drew you and me uh, is, is also, I think, drawing uh, students and will draw students for, uh, you know, for the future years. So this is good to know that because my next question was sort of along the lines of what has it been like to manage an international office during a global pandemic? And you sort of answered that already. Um, very challenging, but also uh, obviously a, an opportunity to be uh, creative. And even if we use that overused word of pivoting, you've pivoted pretty well. You know, the realities of my team working remotely, um, right. it was hard not to be able to stop by their offices and just check in and informally and see how they were doing or for them to pop into my office and talk. Um, but, you know, like millions of others, you included, we all figured out how to adapt with Zoom meetings and Zoom socials and Zoom check-ins. And Well, and, um, you know, Donna, I think that um, it's easy to lead in good times. It's easy right? to lead in easy times because, well, you know, what are you leading through? You're leading through an easy time. Everything is going well. Uh, and probably, you know, if, uh, if there isn't any decisions to be made or any, uh, you know, any critical, uh, critical things to decide or things of that nature, then, you know, one could argue, well, there are people that have their entire career or their entire, um, you know, time in an office in an uneventful way. And, and yet they call themselves leaders. And I'm not sure what they were leading through. But in a time that is critical, where leadership is really needed, because it is not easy and it isn't, uh, it isn't uh, everyday routine, then I think really leadership skills come through. So, so even though you didn't sign up for this um, initially, I'm sure it's, uh, it's a great experience from a leader's perspective to go yeah, through this and, and to have the backing of your team that oh, absolutely. are leading. It, and I would say, you know, given that I had literally just started the position in August and then this right. all happened in March, the two things I am extremely grateful for. One is that I had the time to establish that rapport and build those trusting relationships, both with my team and with other key stakeholders around campus. Right. And two, 
that I had this amazing team of competent, capable professionals who were able to weather the storm. I think without those two ingredients, this would have been a very difficult <laughs> time. So. Oh, absolutely. And I remember, well, um, the individuals that you just praised because uh, I worked with so many of them over the years and they are outstanding and they are, um, they are capable of doing um, uh, incredible tasks. And so I think having a leader like you come in to guide them along in a time of crisis just brings the, the best together, the leadership and a team that, that wants to be led in a crisis. So, so true. Um, now, you were mentioning earlier that there, there is a silver lining to all of the sort of sad news that we have almost every day with numbers going up and, um, and, and it not getting uh, any better. Uh, and, and I've heard this before when you talk to people, and I think that's sort of the, the, the half, uh, glass half full and half empty mentality probably that comes into play, um, where people see opportunities. They see um, chances to do something new, even if the environment they're doing it in is not a very positive one or um, a very uh, uplifting situation. But the fact that there is an idea that is worth pursuing and without the catalyst of um, a worldwide uh, crisis, it probably would have not happened, is something that's also important to mention because out of this come some, some incredible developments. And, and I, I want to talk a little bit about this um, regarding the uh, expanding of um, of global competence and strengthening international ties through online collaboration that you mentioned earlier briefly. Can you please share with us, Donna, the exciting development regarding UM's invitation to participate in the ACE IIGE Rapid Response Virtual Exchange, also called COIL, much easier, uh, Transformation Lab? Yes. So, as you said, you know, when, when COVID hit, there were quite a few, well, I shouldn't say quite a few, there were some opportunities that presented themselves through organizations like um, ACE, which is the American Council on Education. And um, one of them was ACE, who has been doing this for a number of years, the, the COIL lab. Um, they said, you know, this, they saw all of these institutions who, like us, were trying to now pivot quickly to virtual exchange and, and COIL offerings, and they said, well, let's offer a very rapid response um, COIL lab. So um, they put out a call for proposals. They had quite a number of applicants, and we were really excited to share last month that the University of Montana, along with our partner in Japan, Sophia University, were named by the ACE as one of um, 15 that were awarded universities to participate in this rapid response um, transformation lab. So the COIL method, um, which is kind of under the umbrella of virtual exchange, it's really a cost-effective, accessible, and scalable method of expanding global learning opportunities 
um, to more students on U.S. campuses, well, more students worldwide, because it's not just U.S. campuses that are participating in this. In fact, um, several countries, Japan, Chile, um, I think even Australia to some extent, maybe New Zealand, have been participating in COIL type learning for quite some time. So we're a little bit late to the game. But COIL is an innovative pedagogy that involves collaborative teaching and learning in two or more countries um, that's facilitated by online communication that has been developed and promoted by the State University of New York COIL Center. So the SUNY COIL Center is kind of the gold standard here in the US. And for over a decade, I think I mentioned ACE has recognized that this COIL model is a really great, great way to expand out your global engagement on campuses when mobility isn't possible or as an enhancement. So many times students who participate in these COIL courses or courses that have COIL embedded in it will then go on to study abroad. So for example, they may be in a, one model might be a faculty member who has embedded a COIL collaboration in a course that's taught on campus. And then after the students complete that portion of the course, they all go abroad um, and get to have face-to-face -face collaborations with this team of students that they've been working with online for the last semester or month or whatever it might be. So not, it can be a standalone, it can be a, a, simply a virtual um, engagement on a, on a home campus. Um, or it can encourage students to then do some mobility or be tied to mobility. So it's a really flexible model that you can use. Okay. Um, so through this lab, basically a team from the University of Montana and a team from our partner University in Sophia University have been working together. We went through a training um, led by ACE and then we um, are working together to figure out how we're going to A, implement a COIL course this fall. And we have a faculty member, Dr. Alessia Carpocha from our um, school or yeah, theater and dance school on campus. She is partnering with a faculty member from Sophia from history, I think art history. And they are going to be um, over the course of, I think they have four synchronous meetings together with their students in maybe November. Um, and they're going to be engaging in projects together. They're going to be looking at, um, uh, let's see, co a costume design is kind of what Alessia's students are going to be doing. And then the students at Sophia are, are looking at um, history of play, Japanese plays. And there's going to be some kind of super creative, interesting inner interactions happening between them and they're going to be engaging in projects together. And I think one of the pieces is going to be the U.S. students from Montana sharing their costume designs for this theater production with the Japanese students and the Japanese students providing feedback and critique of it um, because it's, it's going to be Japanese theater. Right. So, right. I, you know, this kind of, and, and then the setup to it. So there's a whole piece that needs to happen before the project engagement occurs between the students where they meet each other, get to know the other's culture. Um, it will all be conducted in English, but having an understanding of, um, you know, those cultural differences and the intercultural style. So how you know, we're always about, let's get right to it. You know, 
um, get down to business and on the Japanese side, it might be more about, you know, the importance of the formality of introductions and everyone getting to introduce themselves. And so I, I think it'll be just a really interesting um, engagement between these two groups of students. And then the rest of the team, so there are instructional designers from both campuses and Jeannie Castillo from our English Language Institute is actually serving as the instructional designer because she has that background as well. She's very talented. Um, she'll be collaborating with her counterpart, also doing instructional design from Japan. Our meeting last night, they were talking about what learning management system they're gonna use and how they're gonna use social media to enhance. Um, and then Maria Umkori um, Chowdhury from the Global Engagement Office and her counterpart from Sophia are talking through, you know, Sophia has been doing this for a couple of years now with some Ministry of Education funding. So how have they gotten their faculty engaged and how have they been able to scale it up and how will it be sustained after that funding ends? And so just talking about strategy on how to implement this and grow this here at the University of Montana. So it's really exciting. And we, we did a poll way back in April, I think April or May, to the University of Montana faculty to see how many of them might be interested in learning more about virtual international exchange or even engaging in it, or if they have already engaged in it and plan to continue. So, so we've already got a, a pool of faculty who are you know, interested in doing this that will probably become some of our core faculty for. Um, scaling this up on campus. That's perfect. And I, I so appreciate you connecting me with Professor Alessia Capocha. And I'm, I'm very happy to um, invite her to join us at this point. So my name is Alessia Carpoca. I teach in the School of Theater and Dance at the University of Montiac, head of the Design and Technology Program here in the School of Theater and Dance. Uh, so what I do is the technical side of theater, uh, more specifically scenic design and costume design and scenic painting. So in general, this is the backstage work for a theater production. Um, so I teach classes uh, at every level, uh, both freshmen, sophomore and junior seniors and graduate classes. And uh, my passion uh, in theater comes from a background in uh, the visual arts, uh, art history, and drawing and painting. And then uh, in uh, undergraduate, I started doing a lot more work in uh, scene design and costume design. And then eventually I got a master's degree at Northwestern University uh, on uh, scene design and costume design. Um, so right now, this is what I teach at the University of Montana, and this opportunity to participate in the ACE COIL training and project came through the international office. Um, I just got an email in uh, June, um, somewhere around middle of June, basically a week before uh, the application was due. <laughs> we we got this idea of participating into this project and not knowing that much about because there wasn't really any time to right. gain a lot of information. We right. applied and we got it. Wonderful. And it was wonderful. And after that, we had to start trying to do the work. Now, what, so, what does this collaboration look like from the faculty members' lens? 
Um, Donna talked a little bit about uh, about sort of the project as a whole, but what does it look like for you? Well, I have a really strong interest in uh, international studies, international collaboration, uh, just because having been an international student myself and have a passion for traveling languages in general. Uh, I thought about participating in this project because I thought it would be a great opportunity for my students. It would give them the chance to travel in a way, even though they will not leave Montana, and to get to work collaboratively with other students in another place. Um, as a faculty member, uh, this is uh, a little tricky, but also very exciting because I'm trying to develop a syllabus and a series of projects uh, with a person teaching in a completely different system. Right. Um, in, and with two classes that don't really share anything, basically. Right. Uh, my class is a custom design class with mostly sophomores, uh, a class that deals with uh, uh, psychology of cost before the customs get built. So it has a strong uh, uh, practical component. Uh, Why the class I'm pairing up with uh, is a more uh, traditionally academic class uh, with a cultural component. And okay. the professor I'm pairing with, uh, uh, Professor Murai, um, this class is a 300 level and it's a very large class. Uh, I think they are going to have between 20 and 30 students. Uh, while my class uh, has uh, six students. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's a huge difference in terms of numbers. Um, right. It's also a huge difference in terms of the style of the classroom delivery. Right. And uh, uh, in addition to that, we have the regular problems with uh, cross-cultural communications. Sure. Uh, the advantage is the classes at Sofia University uh, where uh, Professor Murai teaches, they are all in English. So while Sofia University is in Tokyo, in Japan, the classes right. are taught in English. Wow. So we are very lucky in that respect. Sure. Uh, and I but think the students are from various different backgrounds and culture. They are not all Japanese students. Right. My understanding, but I will not know because the class actually start in the end of September. Our semesters are also not aligned. Ah, okay. <laughs> wow. Um, that's complex. I mean, I love the international component, obviously. Um, the fact that, that you are uh, connecting from here, uh, from Montana, from the University of Montana, that you that you yourself are uh, from Italy, and uh, and you have you have grown been grown up and raised in Italy, so you have a Italian European perspective that goes into the class, and then the students could be from many different places, and the collaborating faculty I member. Oh. is in Japan. I mean, that is just, that in itself is an incredible international connection. 
It's a new word. In a way, last year I would have never thought about something like this being a possibility. Right. Uh, but I think this year it's such a strong possibility because we are already teaching some classes on Zoom. Right. So we are already teaching virtually. Now it's just adding the component of collaborating with another school virtually. Right, right. Now, uh, thanks for sharing um, what this collaboration looks like from a faculty member's perspective. How can the COIL Transformation Lab directly benefit students? I think it will directly benefit almost any student that will take the class. Um, there has been a strong interest from students at the University of Montana and even my own students in the school into participating in study abroad programs, but this interest has not necessarily materialized in a lot of students studying abroad, ultimately. Uh, Sometimes it's for reason of financial support. Sometimes it's because they want to try to finish the degree in four years. Right. Uh, sometimes it's the language part. It's scary or the living in another country. There are a lot of reasons why not that many students end up participating in a study abroad. I think by doing a virtual exchange, my students will already start gaining an understanding of what it could possibly feel like to be in another country, what it will mean to collaborate with a student that it's not from their own culture and doesn't speak English as a first language necessarily. Right. I almost think that this could be a fantastic springboard for every student wanting to go abroad, and this could be a first little step. And then you could move on. Okay, I really like this. I would like to do more. Right. And what a great opportunity to get connected internationally for a student um, to then sort of find out if that's really what you want to do or not. I mean, I'm In thinking. Addition, I have a second. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, my secondary reason is in my specific field, international collaboration happens all the time. Right. Uh, in, it, it's not unusual to be in a production meeting for a play happening anywhere in the U.S. where one or two or three designers are actually foreigners. Right. And it's very common because the work is the same wherever you go. So I got trained partially in Italy. Then I also got trained in Canada. Then I moved to the U.S. It's the same. Sure. The differences are minimal. So right. this is something that professionally will happen a lot to my students to be in meetings with people from different culture. Right. Unless, unless they end up staying in maybe smaller cities, uh, different environments. Um, so I think, oh, that would be a nice way to practice collaboration. Oh, absolutely. On, on, on many levels. And certainly through the COIL Transformation Lab, the student will get sort of a taste of what it might be like in the future if they're working on a production uh, to, to work with people that speak a different language or that come from a different cultural background. That's amazing. I'm just, just listening to you. I can see sort of the many different levels within this project that are uh, very unique and, and probably, you know, uh, just a few years ago, would have not been something that um, technology-wise would have been easy to facilitate. But now that we have Zoom and we all got accustomed to Zoom, 
it seems to be uh, an easy way to get connected. Exactly. I will uh, never forget uh, um, my first professional opera. I was in the Czech Republic in a city called Ustinad Laben. And in our first production meeting, there is the intendant of the theater that is Czech, the director of the show that is Canadian. Then there is me from Italy and then a few technicians from the Czech Republic. And we quickly realized we actually don't have a common language. <laughs> and so it starts to be a discussion that is partially in German, which I only had one semester. Uh, partially in English, which some people had not really studied, right. partially in Italian, because it's a language that many people in opera know a few words. Right, right. It was really funny. <laughs> we, we got somewhere, but it was really funny. And then, of course, the people that speak more than one language, they could translate some parts, and it was all this uh, mumbo-jumbo right. of different languages. It was funny. But that is international collaboration uh, at its best. If, if everybody tries to somehow uh, make this work and there are obstacles and everybody knows it and, and everybody tries to maneuver around it. And again, I think like you said, uh, this, is, this is a good practice for students to sort of uh, get, a, get an idea of what it's like when you are working with people that are not with you in the same location, but maybe in a different uh, country or a different region of the world. And, and so this is, this is great. I'm, 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 really, I'm really intrigued by this COIL idea. Now, taking this um, outside of an academic sit setting, if I may, um, are there other benefits? Now, are you the only one uh, that is currently involved in this, or are there other UM faculty members that are also connected to the COIL transformation? Yeah. Right now, I'm the only faculty member. We are the first team, as, a, as I understand, from the University of Montana to try to do this. So okay. it's uh, me as an instructor, and then we have, of course, our technical support uh, person, Jean Castillo. And, um, but as faculty and in terms of classes, mine will be the only class uh, to do that. Ah, okay. Wonderful. Well, this was very interesting and, and certainly very educational for me. Like I said, I, I learned a little bit uh, from Donna about this, but, but you put a spotlight on on, uh, on many things that we didn't talk about yesterday. So this is perfect. Now, Donna, do you believe that international education and educational exchanges will go back to their pre-pandemic level uh, once the pandemic is over or will the field change forever? That's a great question. Um, I, you know, I think, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but those of us who have weathered the impacts caused by previous crises in international education, like SARS, 9-11, um, you know, we remember the adjustments that institutions had to make. Um, but the current public health crisis is different, right? Um, it's going to leave lasting changes to the way that institutions think about and practice international education. Um, I'm thinking about an article by Brian Whalen, who's the former CEO of an organization called the Forum on Education Abroad. And he said something to the effect of, 
Um, you know, the pandemic has alerted us to the fact that we live in a borderless world in which our well-being depends on global cooperation. And at the same time, we're, you know, we're self-isolating right now. We're practicing social distancing from each other. Our personal borders start at our front door. And that's going to change our orientation to the world going forward. It's going to be shifting our conception of borders and our understanding of each other, the world, and ourselves. Um, I personally believe that institutions are very likely to be wary of restarting education abroad in the way that it has been practiced up until now. And in fact, like at this time, I think institutions have an opportunity to understand and conceive of education abroad in new ways um, and ways that can continue to make it a high impact practice. Um, and, and isn't that true for so many other things that you would? Oh, want? absolutely. I think everything's going to be somehow changed, whether right. it's whether hopefully it's for the at a systemic level or <laughs> right. And hopefully for the better. Yeah, we all have. I feel like we were all being called at this time to really self-examine and um, particularly as we have the intersection of the two pandemics, right? The global pandemic and this. And this I would agree. Um, and I think. The, yeah. I would agree. And I think the fact that um, when things are going okay, uh, I think people are less likely to make changes because they're saying, well, it's going all right. Could, could be better, but could be worse. So let's not touch it and yeah. uh, it'll be fine. I think that's uh, a normal human reaction. But um, in this crisis, I agree with you. Uh, while there may be the desire for things to go back to normal, whatever that was, um, before and if it was actually ever normal, depending on the situation that we're talking about, um, I think uh, you're right. One would hope that there is some, uh, some rethinking that takes place. And if in the end uh, it turns out that uh, things were at their best, uh, then I think continuing them is a good idea. But I would argue that there are many things that weren't at their best, and we just kind of we just kind of went with the flow. Uh, but yeah. now we have a reason to actually do something about it, and to improve them, and to polish them, and to make them better than they were before. So yeah, and, and I think to really expand out, um, not I mean I absolutely think mobility is going to return. I think that will sure. I think exchange will always be a part of what we do right. but are there are there wider varieties and wider forms of how we can also do this so like we talked about with online learning virtual exchange um, virtual education abroad um, which we haven't talked about but you know really like virtual internships and right um all of those kinds of things domestic study away right, right. i know some right. campuses already do this we have the um National Student Exchange Program on campus, but what about um, what about incorporating more with our our local diversity, with our native um, our tribal nations here in Montana? What can right. we be learning from each other? Right. Um, we could be learning a lot from them right now, oh, particularly I, in the midst of this pandemic. Right? How can totally we agree. be more respectful of the environment and right. and, um, and well, and I also think that you know, in a way cultural and and i think global competence um can start at home i mean you can look at your own uh yes. at your own neighborhood at, at your own 
city, at your own, you know, group that you're interacting with and, and learn about uh, people uh, that are different from the way you are and that were raised different, that speak a different language, that have different beliefs, whatever it may be. And I think one can sort of develop this cultural and global competence without necessarily uh, going and immersing yourself in another culture. I mean, that may be sort of the, uh, the, the icing on the cake, if you can. And as you said earlier, unfortunately, oftentimes it's, it's, uh, it's the access that is the problem and that many people don't have access to actually participating in programs like this that would bring them abroad. But it's sort of, I think the mindset can be developed and honed in your own community because when we look around, we, we will see that we are living in a diverse community. Um, That's right. when, you, when you just look hard enough, it's, uh, it's obvious. And so I think you're right. It's this, this getting in touch with or becoming more sensitive to um, that we can actually work on um, without ever going uh, somewhere but in our own community. That's right. Yeah, this whole notion of internationalization at home, I think, is a concept that we could do so much more with and, and could be doing more with engaging with the, the diversity right here on our own campus at the University right. of Montana. Yeah. And I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. But I, I was just going to add one other um, thought about how I hope we go back a little differently is, um, you know, how, this notion of education around the globe maybe becoming education about the globe. And, right. and this drastic reduction in global travel, tourism, education abroad, you know, kind of alerting us already to those adver adverse environmental footprints that travelers leave. So you know how when COVID happened, like all of a sudden in um, Venice's canals had clearer water and they right. were seeing you know, animals there that they hadn't seen in decades or right. millennia or whatever. So, you know, the, this whole notion of, you know, each education abroad program really should treat our planet as a beneficiary of the program and how we should be mindful of the footprints that we're leaving when we do this travel, you know, whether it's the carbon that expelled through the air travel or how we're, how are we um, um, presenting ourselves and how are we, um, using the resources of the places where we're going to study. So, you know, that's a whole nother topic. And I think some campuses already do that quite well. Right. And others don't. So, right. um, you know, that's another thing I think we should think about. I didn't have this in my original idea, but uh, a newsletter from your office as, uh, as a monthly uh, newsletter that you send out. And this one, um, talked about uh, the fact that the office is offering a TESOL program this fall. And I thought I just mentioned this because, again, um, talking about pivoting and talking about opportunities and thinking out of the box, I understand this is a brand new um, initiative to help individuals that are interested in teaching English um, to non native speakers to enroll in this. And from what I understand, it's all online. Can you talk a little bit about this, Donna, as this may be something that 
um, our listeners may be interested. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's it's a course that's on completely online, as you've said, run by taught by Jeannie Castillo, who I've mentioned multiple times in this um, this interview. But she's just phenomenal, and she will be teaching this course online for anyone who is interested in becoming a teacher of English as a second language. I think that especially in this time of COVID and in this time of people retooling, maybe looking for opportunities to enhance some new skills or do a a career change, whether out of necessity or just. um, Sure. Now, is there um, a website address, Donna, where people that have listened to this just now are interested in finding out more information where they could go to? It is at the Global Engagement website, which is uh, umt.edu backslash global dash engagement. Wonderful. Yeah. So two other virtual programs that we've pivoted to for this fall um, are both actually a collaborations between the Mansfield Center and GEO's English Language Institute. Uh, The first one is a grant that the Mansfield Center acquired from the Stevens Initiative COVID-19 fund. So they created this fund to support institutions transitioning international exchange programs from in-person to virtual in response to the global crisis. And um, what the Mansfield Center will be doing is they'll be connecting students from Montana and Egypt to highlight the importance of citizen diplomacy this year. So that'll be happening this fall. And this exchange, which will be virtual, is designed to enhance global competencies and communities internationalization. We'll have participants Um, working on leadership skill development, and it'll be a shared fall 2020 course on public diplomacy that Dina Mansour from the Mansfield Center will be teaching, along with faculty from our English Language Institute providing English language and culture support. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be super exciting. So that's one. Um, The second one that I wanted to highlight Um, And actually, some of your listeners probably know that every year the Mansfield Center brings dozens of international participants to Missoula for educational and cultural exchange programs. And a lot of them stay in the homes of Missoula residents. Right. Of course, this year, due to the pandemic, student participants from our partner Tohoku University in Japan aren't going to be able to travel to Missoula. So the Mansfield Center shifted to a virtual program. And it's going to be complete with virtual host families, and they'll be providing a unique Montana experience and integrating those students into American family life and culture virtually. Um, And the English Language Institute will also be providing lessons on um, language and culture through um, faculty from the ELI. So those are, I think, some really exciting and quick pivots um, that we've done here at UM literally in the last couple months. Certainly impressive as far as, um, you know, having not stopped doing international programming and activities, as so many people would think, but having shifted and continuing uh, to offer opportunities for students to get an experience about other places, about other languages uh, in a virtual world. So that's, that's very nice. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So yeah, we're excited because it keeps those partnerships alive, right? Even in this time of no mobility, right? And it, you know, in some cases, like we saw with the Kumamoto High School partnership, expanded out that opportunity to students that otherwise wouldn't have been able to come in person. So perfect, it's exciting. Um, now, last but not least, Donna, I wanted to go back. We've we've sort of focused on coming in, focused on international programming, on international, on internationalization of the campus. We talked about specifically the Office of Global Engagement. I'd like to take a step back for my final question and, and ask you what you believe are UM's greatest strength as an institution of higher education. Yeah, well, where to begin? I mean, honestly, I think, I, and again, I'm a little partial perhaps because I work there, but I really truly believe University of Montana has so many strengths. Um, I think sometimes we don't toot our horn enough, and I know we're working on tooting our horn more and better and in the right places, but let me, uh, there's so many ways I could uh, kind of uh, attack that question, but let me share some of the strategic advantages I believe the University of Montana has as it pertains to attracting international students and scholars, okay? Please do. I think this is a really important piece too because this is another one of our priorities this year is to continue to work toward finding opportunities to bring more diverse international students to our campus. So when you look at our current international student population, the majority of our international undergraduate students right now are spread across the humanities and sciences programs, as well as our business programs. Um, humanities and sciences, I think we have the larger number of students in programs like psychology, biology, biomedical sciences, biochemistry, some of those areas. Um, communication studies also draws some international students. And our business programs, international students are pretty spread fairly even, even out among all of the majors with slight majority in management and entrepreneurship. Right. So international students, um, well, so what I think um, the university wants to highlight here is our environmental studies as an area for growth given our strong reputation in related areas. So University of Montana has very high national and international rankings in a number of key areas like wildlife biology. Um, I think we're the number one wildlife biology program right now in North America. Uh, number five in ecology research in the United States. We have strong research activity and course offerings in resource and ecological conservation, parks, recreation, tourism management, and climate change studies. So these are areas that, while they're not traditionally popular majors for international students, um, there are in increasing uh, indicators of interest in environmental majors from areas across the globe right now that are currently facing the effects of climate change. Um, Bangladesh, for example, um, is really looking for these types of programs to educate their students and to come back and help them solve some of these really wicked problems. So um, I think, oh, and for example, we, um, we got some inquiries recently um, from 
Saudi Arabia. So Saudi students on a particular scholarship from their government are interested in archaeology. Well, why archaeology? They're trying to train students in archaeology to come back and help with preservation efforts for their, their cultural preservation within the country. So we've actually got a couple of students from um, Saudi Arabia studying archaeology at University of Montana. That is so wonderful. There are those, I think, academic research areas that are, are really a strength of the University of Montana that I think could have some very wide appeal to some international um, markets. Right. Um, it's probably no secret that the University of Montana is a really great location for international students looking to focus their studies because of our safe community, our convenient access to airport, free public transportation, all the conveniences of a city basically without many of the downsides like traffic right. and the cost of living. Right. Um, unparalleled access to outdoor recreation, some of the greatest natural park destinations in the U.S. like Yellowstone and Glacier. I would agree. Um, I, I think for international students looking to hone their English language skills and experience American culture, UM and Missoula are just an ideal destination. So, yes. yeah. And then I think the other gem that we have that we have not probably packaged and advertised as well as we should, and we will be doing this, is our embedded two-year college, Missoula College. Um, it's especially unique pathway for international students who are value conscious, which we have more and more of those students like from Vietnam who understand the value of a, a two-year college and then transferring to a four-year. Sure. Um, not only is the college an amazing um, physical space and it's a brand new facility just across the river there from the main campus, but uh, international students who would start their education at Missoula College can actually live in UM housing on the main campus and take advantage of most of all the same student services as students at the four-year campus would and at a fraction of the cost. So they could start there and save almost $10,000 a year in those first two years and then transfer to the main campus. Right, right. And then oh, we and have scholarships, so yeah. That COVID-19, the global pandemic, has shined a light on the importance of international education. And I think that we need to educate our students about the interconnectedness of the world to combat xenophobia, isolationist mindsets. And international education can really be reinvented for a time when the meaning of borders is changing and when our planet needs globally educated citizens more than ever. Um, I believe institutions of higher education like the University of Montana should and will take up this challenge in different ways according to their individual missions. So I, I think there's, like you said, the glasses is half full in my mind, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, because I see the value in international education never, be great, never being greater than it is today. Absolutely. I agree. Donna Anderson, thank you so much for uh, being my guest uh, of International Voices, the September episode. I really appreciate you taking the time and um, being with me on this virtual uh, Zoom interview. All the best to you uh, this fall, uh, to your team, and um, I will stop by one of these days and uh, say hello.
Oh, thank you, Udo. It has been my pleasure and honor, and you are welcome to stop by anytime. We're actually in the office, so come on by with I your will. face mask. I will, <laughs> of course. Thank you, Donna. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. My international voices for this September podcast episode were Donna Anderson, the University of Montana's Senior International Officer and Executive Director of the Global Engagement Office, and Alessia Caporcha, Professor of Scenery and Costume Design for the Department of Drama Dance at the University of Montana, and their involvement in the Rapid Response Virtual Exchange Coil Transformation Lab, among other international programming and service topics. Thank you, ladies, for being my guests. Thank you for listening. Those of you who are regularly tuning in to International Voices know, being of German descent, I usually end with a German farewell. Dankeschön fürs Zuhören. International Voices is brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and The Trail, 1033. This and previous International Voices podcasts can be found at artsmissoula.org and thetrail1033.com. If your interests are in global and intercultural education, programming, cultural and global competence, and international affairs, we hope you join us again next month for another episode of International Voices. Mm -hmm.